HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit michters.com to find out how their taste is everything, cost be damned attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. This is Sherry Bayer from All in the Industry. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and when I'm not here uh, hosting In the Drink, you can find me at one of our restaurants where I act as the beverage director at Delanima, Lartuzzi, Lepicho, and our wine bar, Anfora, um, in, uh, in the West Village. And uh, we actually have a little bit of an announcement coming up. We're, we're going to be opening up an outdoor cafe um, at the Heinlein Hotel on 10th Avenue between 20th and 21st Street for the summer. We're really excited about it. It's called Alta Linea, and um, it's going to be a lot of great aperitivo, uh, Campari, Aperol, Chinar, Vermouths. Uh, the first time that we'll actually have Prosecco on one of our lists. Uh, I'm really excited about that. Um, and In the Drink, you can uh, you can listen to In the Drink um, at 10 a.m. every Wednesday on heritageradionetwork.org. And uh, you can find past episodes on the same website and also on iTunes. All right. I'm excited today. Um, actually, extremely excited today. We have um, we have someone whose work I've admired for a long time. Uh, probably the, some of the first uh, Scotch whiskeys that I've ever put on on one of our beverage lists over at uh, Delanima. Um, we've used their uh, their Scotch in cocktails um, at Lartuzzi. Uh, you know, our producer Jory Morales is a is a big fan and actually has a, a cocktail that uh, that these guys uh, promote and they're proud of. Um, we're, we're here with John Glazer uh, from Compass Box uh, Whiskey. John Glazer's the the founder and whiskey maker of Compass Box. So, John, welcome. Excited to the show. Thanks. Excited to have Thank you, you very much. Nice to be here. Um, so, congratulations. I mean, you know, this is your 15-year uh, anniversary. Um, what? Tell us about how you, how you got started 15 years ago. It's a, it's a really unique product. It's uh, unlike uh, really any other whiskey that I know of. Um, you might know of some competitors, but um, we, we're just big fans of yourself. How did you get started 15 years ago? 
Yeah, 15 years ago. It's, um, it's amazing uh, that uh, that much time has gone by. Well, I mean, think about it. 15 years ago, you know, and for yourself and for, I'm sure, a lot of your listeners, 15 years ago, you, know, you weren't even drinking age, right? <laughs> and um, it, was a different, <laughs> it was a different world then. Um, spirits were not cool. Uh, whiskey of any type, you know, American, Scotch, whatever, was mm -hmm. not cool. Scotch whiskey certainly was not cool. And there wasn't a whole lot of interest in it, you know, amongst people under the age of 50, <laughs> you know, um, and that's being generous. And so I found myself 15 years ago in the UK, in, living in London, working for a small Scotch whiskey brand called Johnny Walker, <laughs> which you might have heard of, and, uh, and asking questions about what we were doing in, in, in whiskey making in Scotland and why we were doing certain things. So if you rewind a little bit further, when I, uh, obviously by my accent, you can tell I'm an American, um, when I left college uh, in Ohio, um, I wanted to be a winemaker. So I studied literature, wanted to be a winemaker. There you go. So I followed that trail for a while. France, California, the retail business, the wholesale business in America. What made you want to be a winemaker? I just fell in love with wine in, in college. So I went to Miami of Ohio, and uh, they then, and I've been told that they still, or at least recently, have had a wine course that you can get geography credit for. And I needed, I needed that kind of credit. And so I took this wine course, and I just fell in love with the subject. Um, and uh, a lot of people don't know this, but late twentieth century Ohio is actually a somewhat important winemaking area. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah. One, one, of one of the first places to to plant uh, vinifera vinifera labrusca hybrid grapes, and yeah. they did pretty well. Yeah, certainly along the lake uh, yeah, mm -hmm. in the north. Um, but anyway, fell in love not with Ohio wines necessarily, but <laughs> with with international wines, and just decided I wanted to grow wine and make wine, and that's what I was going to do in my life. So I followed that trail for a while, and long story short, um, a fellow I worked for while I was saving money to go to Cal UC Davis to study winemaking, he convinced me I wanted to be on the business side of wine. So I went back to school for business, and then instead of getting a job in wine, I got a job offer from this Johnny Walker thing. <laughs> and I took the job because the company at the time in New York also sold wine. I thought I'll do the scotch thing for a while and move to the wine side. My dreams will come true. But I never left. I fell in love. They sent me, started sending me on trips to Scotland and for many of the same reasons I loved wine, I fell in love with Scotch whiskey. What, I mean, what was it about Scotland? I mean, it's a, a distinct, strong terroir. Is that, is that why you love wine and Scotch whiskey? I've never been to Scotland. Yeah, you never. Well, it's, um, um, I went over there for the first time uh, when I was still working in here in New York, and I expected to see Johnny Walker being belched out of a big factory in Glasgow, right? And instead, I'm being taken around to some of the most breathtakingly beautiful places on the earth, you know, in the highlands and in some of the islands of Scotland, visiting distilleries, visiting malt whiskey distilleries, um, in the lowlands, visiting grain whiskey distilleries, and seeing where a brand like that is created. And the idea of blending whiskeys from different distilleries, to me, captured my imagination, because to me, that, that just seemed like a platform for creativity. And... Um, so I fell in love with the subject. Now, culturally, I was, I, I was, I was um, engaged in you know, how Scotch whiskey fit into the culture of, uh, of, of Scotland. Um, and there's, there's not so much a terroir aspect to Scotch whiskey as there is in wine. So it's not the, the, a geographic or a climactic uh, impact that, that shapes the style of the whiskey at any particular distillery. It's really more decisions about how the distiller wants to make whiskey. You can make any style of whiskey anywhere in Scotland. Um, but there are culture, local and culture, local uh, 
traditions which shape the, the way certain areas of Scotland make whiskey. For example, the island of Isla, which is so famous for smoky, heavily smoky whiskey. So anywhere can make a smoky whiskey. It's right. just that in Isla, it's, it's their tradition. It's it? their tradition. That's right. That's right. So I, I fell in love with the subject. Um, they moved me to London um, uh, eventually. And part of my role in London was product development, so I was spending a lot of time in Scotland working with um, the people in the distilling teams and the, the, the people in charge of blending. A woman named Maureen Robinson was really uh, influential in, in, uh, in terms of teaching me about blending. Um, and I started asking questions, you know. And so now I'm an American, I'm in Scotland, i got a wine background. And I'm a wine geek and a home brewer, and I'm, I'm looking at Scotch whiskey. And, and sales is 15, 17, 18 years, and 20 years ago, actually, going back when I first started going over there. And sales are declining, and it's not cool. And I'm just thinking, wow, this is a secret that nobody knows about. This stuff is amazing. And it's just, to my mind, wasn't being presented properly to the world. Big, iconic, global brands, well, they're not so interesting to people these days, right? My dad's brands, my grandfather's brands. Um, you know, I was asking questions about how we were making this stuff. Why do we use the casks so over and over so many times when we know that yields whiskeys that don't have a lot of flavor? Why do we chill filter the whiskeys before we bottle them? That robs them of flavor. It's a cosmetic step. Why do we color, artificially color with spirit caramel, scotch whiskeys, even single malts? You know, I'm asking all these questions. And not getting really satisfactory answers. You know, this is the way we have always done it kind of thing. And I just started to think, you know, 15 years ago, there was no craft spirits movement, quote unquote, you know. Um, there weren't niche spirits yeah. brands out there. You know? There were no uh, local distillers here in New York. There were no local distillers here in New York. And, but I thought, you know, the world needs small spirits companies that have real people behind them with real sincerity and, 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 and passion for what they're doing. Um, and stories. And real pe people, small companies and people questioning the way things have always been done with an eye toward trying to make things better. And that to me, and I'm going to use the C word here, okay? <laughs> Not the one you're thinking of, but the other C word, the craft word, that to me. That was the one I was thinking of. <laughs> is <Yeah>. what <laughs> craft is all about to me, is trying to make something better just for the sake of it. To me, that's, that's, that's a craft ethos. But anyway... I digress. So, <laughs> um, so the the big issues that you saw uh, that w were really that the chill filtering, adding color, kind of stripping some of the flavor away after yeah. it's already been distilled. That was right? part of it, sure. My my biggest uh, issue, I guess, was the quality of oak in the Scotch whisky mm -hmm. industry. You know, it's traditionally um, used casks in Scotland. But over the decades, there's become a, a tradition, quote-unquote, of reusing and reusing and reusing to a point where the casks simply aren't giving the whiskeys much flavor. Um, particularly an issue for the Scotch grain whiskeys because they're lighter than malt whiskeys. And if you put light whiskey spirit into a cask that's been used three or four times, you're not going to get something very interesting. Somewhere around 60-70% of the flavor of a well-matured whiskey is coming from the cask. The cask adding flavor and the cask and the spirit combining to form new flavors. So to make great whiskey, you really do have to have really good quality wood. And that's not been the case in Scotland. I thought that's something we should, a new company, a new approach could address. Well, something that was a revelation for me upon tasting your whiskeys was I always felt that uh, maybe it was just the traditional teaching or the, the, the lack of focus on it, but that grain whiskeys were poor quality whiskeys and single malt whiskeys or high quality whiskeys uh, and that grain whiskey didn't have flavor and that 
that a malted barley has lots and lots of flavor. I taste your whiskeys and they, they tend to be either all grain or predominantly grain with just a little bit of malt. And they are some of the most flavorful, exuberant, complex whiskeys. I was like, wow, it, why is it that you're able to make interesting, high-quality grain whiskeys and other people aren't? It's, it's down to the wood and it's down to select cask selection. So um, Hedonism is the first whiskey I launched 15 years ago. So I, I decided I was going to leave the big company. I was going to start my own whiskey company. I'm, now I'm, I'm living in London. I, I can source whiskeys. I know how to sell whiskeys around the world. I was in a global marketing team. Um, you know, I really went back to my original desire in life when I left college to make stuff. Yeah. And so it kind of was combining everything I'd kind of accumulated in terms of knowledge and appreciation over the years since I'd gone out of college. And I, you know, instead of being a winemaker, I ended up being a whiskey maker. And so I left, started Compass Box 15 years ago and started with, as you're pointing out, a, a grain whiskey called Hedonism. And it, the quality of Hedonism, and we've got some in the bag if you want to taste some, um, the quality of it is is down yes. to the quality yes, of the Yes, I do, actually. I mean, it's early, but... I mean, it's probably like 4 p.m. in Scotland right now. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's in the afternoon yeah. anyway. <laughs> um, but just, you know, so we make grain whiskey. That's where we started, okay? And we also make malt whiskeys and blended Scotch whiskeys. And can I just do a really quick one-minute primer on the Scotch whiskey I think categories? we'd all really appreciate it. Okay, yeah, right. For it. So in Scotland, there are only two kinds of whiskeys distilled. Malt whiskey, made from malted barley, distilled in pot stills, and grain whiskey, which is kind of a catch-all term for anything distilled in a continuous still. And today, most grain whiskey distilleries in Scotland use either wheat or corn with a little bit of barley. Grain whiskey is much lighter than malt whiskey. So those are only two kinds of whiskey distilled in Scotland. It's pretty simple. There are five legally defined categories of scotch, of which three are blends. There are three different kinds of blends, and people don't, most people don't realize this. It's a little complicated, but it's not... Um, uh, let me lay it out. So five categories. There, um, there's, I'll start with uh, the three kinds of blends. There's blended Scotch whiskey. So that, those, three le- those three words mean the combination of malt whiskey and grain whiskey, and that's your Johnny Walkers and your Chivas and your Dewars and uh, our Great King Street range, for example. Blended Scotch whiskey. There's blended malt whiskey, formerly known as vatted malts, and that's our, our peat malts and our spice tree. Those are blends of single malts, vattings of single malts from different distilleries. And there's blended grain whiskey, like our hedonism, where we take grain whiskeys from different distilleries and blend them together. So those are three kinds of blends. Now, far and away, blended scotch whiskey is the biggest category. And then the other two categories are single malt whiskey, malt whiskey from a single distillery, and single grain whiskey, grain whiskey from a single distillery. So two kinds of whiskey distilled, malt and grain whiskey, and five categories, and that's a scotch whiskey. And so we being blenders, our business is based on... Uh, we are a blending house at the end of the day. We make the three kinds of blends you can make. Blended Scotch whiskey, malt whiskey, blended malt, and blended cream. There you go. It took a little more than a minute, but that's Scotch whiskey in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, let's also talk about age designation on whiskey, um, because it's something that you, you generally don't uh, put on, at least on the front label. I know that you're being a little more open with the various ages of um, of the whiskeys in your bottles uh, now. And now to come full circle, I know that um, that uh, Johnny Walker has kind of taken away the age designations on their whiskeys. Yeah. Uh, what, is, is that because, as I assume, um, there is such an increased global demand in the last five, ten years, that wasn't there 15 years ago, um, for them at least, uh, and they can't kind of keep up with the production. Um, and I know for you, it's, you, you like the kind of, I mean, you can say in your own words, but my assumption, and please tell me if I'm totally wrong, is that you like the liberty of being able to choose the best 
whiskeys of different flavors to kind of mm-hmm. create something that that's more complex than just from one vintage. Mm-hmm. Or one. Yeah, there's been a movement. Well, I guess some people pointed out that we started this 15 years ago, but in any case, there's been a movement in Scotch whiskey to move away from age statements. Mm-hmm. And age statements on a whisk, Scotch whiskey indicate the youngest whiskey in that particular bottling or vatting or blend. Uh, and we've never put age statements on, never, from the beginning, because I didn't want people to judge our whiskeys based on a number. Hmm, the 15 must be better than the 12, that kind of stuff. But more importantly, I wanted flexibility to use, to combine different ages, whiskeys of different ages, to create layers of complexity. And the, an important point here is that age does not necessarily equal quality. I already mentioned that, you know, I believe in the Scotch whiskey industry generally, there's too much reused, many times reused cooperage in the system. And if you put good malt whiskey spirit into a barrel that's been, or hogshead that's been used four or five times, you can wait 20 years and you're still not necessarily going to get something very interesting. So age does not always equate to quality. It's more, what's more important is the quality of the wood that you're putting the spirit in. So those are the reasons why we've never done age statements. Now, that it's become, um, there has been, have been constraints on stock over the last several years with some companies, for some brands, and it has helped them to get through that. It has helped them to create bottlings without age statements. And, you know, non-age statement whiskeys, NAS whiskeys, and it's become an issue in Scotch whiskey uh, among some consumers and bloggers because some people feel some brands have taken advantage of this. They've, they've built up a franchise with a brand name that's had an age statement on it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Then they come out with something uh, on the, under that brand name with no age statement, and they're charging more for it. And there's some feeling that some of those brands are selling inferior quality, younger whiskeys. Not that age means everything, but you know, inferior quality, younger whiskeys and charging more for it. And people are feeling a bit duped by that. That's the perception that some people have. And I, you know, I, 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 I um, I, um, I can't argue with some, some of the cases that I've, that I've seen made, um, and I, but it's my sincere hope that uh, you know, if, if, if brands or companies are taking advantage in that way, that they'll learn a quick lesson so that they don't uh, you know, uh, create a, a, a perception that non-age statement whiskeys generally are an issue or a problem. Yeah. It's, uh, it seems like, I, I mean, it was definitely my personal gut reaction when i saw some larger brands remove it and then charge more it's like that's yeah. like that's like a double whammy there yeah i i can understand that i can understand that but i think the but for the, you who did it like from the outset didn't have it didn't those feelings didn't exist here because i under, kind of understood a little bit more well, we were also very we've always been very transparent about our whiskey mm-hmm. so even though uh, <laughs> explain this we're breaking the law by revealing all the ages of all the whiskeys in a particular blend. You know, so I'll come back to that. Um, we've always been very transparent about that. We've got nothing to hide, um, whereas some companies are a little more cagey about that. I just hope that the creative destruction of the marketplace will uh, drive out these um, inferior products um, that are you know, with high price tags um, so that people will trust a brand um, and not necessarily care if there's an age statement or not. That's the way it should be. You should trust the reputation of a producer. Wait, so tell us about this law that you're breaking by. Really, I love knowing this. Maybe it's just my own geeky 
interest in these things. I, I love when um, grower champagnes list the they have like the vintage on the back and the disgorgement date. That's kind of a new movement mm-hmm. in grower champagne, and that that excites me and mm-hmm. interests me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I always felt the the same thing about knowing the different ages of the particular whiskeys and, and distilleries in the blend. Sure, and we've always been open about that. Um, I think that I, we we appeal to geeky sensibilities like yours, Joe. I guess so. <laughs> you know, and. Um, but several years ago, some new regulations went through UK Parliament regarding uh, the protection of Scotch whisky. And within those regulations, there was a, there was a stipulation that um, it, it, that producers of Scotch whisky are not to convey, um, communicate the in any way the age of a whisky in a particular bottling or, or blend, unless it's the youngest whisky in that blend. And to do so would be breaking the law. But we've always told people 100% of what's in our blend, the ages of everything in there. Now, clearly that law is designed to protect consumers against unscrupulous producers who might you know, put a dollop of 60-year-old whiskey into something and say it's got 60-year-old whiskey in it and sell it on that basis. Okay, that, fair enough. But it's a bit ham-handed, I believe, because it precludes us, a company like ours, from being fully transparent, completely open, and telling you everything that's in there. So we're doing it anyway because we think it's in the best interests of consumers and that the law needs to be rewritten. Um, but that's what I meant by breaking the law. I love it. Thanks, so we- thanks for that ex- explanation. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Uh, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more John, with John Glazer, the outlaw whiskey maker from Compass Box Whiskey. <laughs> In the break song today, courtesy of Mamarazzi, this one's called Mama's Got a Gun. back with uh, John Glazer, the founder and whiskey maker at Compass Box Whiskey. Um, he's brought some samples for us. <laughs> uh, it is still early in the morning here in Bushwick, Brooklyn, but I am, I'm excited to try these. Uh, what do you have here? Well, I brought along a sample of a limited edition whiskey from Compass Box, just coming to market now. It has been bottled to commemorate, if you will, our 15th anniversary of business. It is a special bottling of hedonism, or hedonism as we say in the UK. It is called hedonism quindecimus, Latin for 15. And this is And if you can pronounce that after (laughs) two of these, you win a prize. You win a prize. So this is our our classic hedonism, or hedonism, uh, grain whiskey, Mm -hmm. uh, blended grain from a couple different distilleries. Um, We blend different ages with our regular hedonism. It tends to be on the uh, on average around 18 years old. 
With this one, this special edition Quindecimus, uh, the average age is much, much uh, older, closer to 30 years old. We've got some very old whiskeys in there. Again, I'm breaking the law by telling you there's 40-year-old whiskey in there. But online, you can, anyone can go and see it on our website. 100% of the whiskey is in there, so you can see exactly how much 40-year-old whiskey is in there. So we're not trying to, you know, uh, pull the wool over anyone's eyes here. It's full disclosure. So this is beautiful old scotch grain whiskey aged all in American oak. So you get these lovely vanilla tones, um, hints of coconut. There's a real, literally a sweetness on the, on the palate that comes from... In part from the, um, the 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 caramelized sugars in the in the in this toasted oak casks uh, being extracted into the whiskey, it's a sexy, easy to love, uh, perilously drinkable type of Scotch whiskey. If you ask me, uh, you st- that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, no, it's extraordinary. I'm drinking this uh, pretty much at room temperature out of a mason jar. That's fantastic. And uh, and it is. At at you know ten a.m. in uh, in Bushwick, and it is delicious. It's extraordinary. Um, it's so creamy. It has a richness yep. to it. Um, there certainly are a, a lot of those oak flavors, but it's it, you're not just smelling oak. It's extremely somehow subtle and also comp- very complex. It's it, yeah. nothing knocks you over the head. Yeah, um, yeah that's I a love good it. way to describe it. Sure. I, I, I've always called grain whiskeys, good grain whiskey, Scotch grain whiskeys, the feminine alter ego to Scotland's malt whiskeys. Um, they're um, uh, lighter in character than malt whiskeys, but when they're aged in good casks like this, they are sexy and they are really, really um, approachable and, and, and delicious. You know, this is something that we didn't cover in the, the first half, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about, about your sourcing. Um, uh, you call yourself a whiskey maker, um, but what you're doing is you're working with distilleries, you're purchasing uh, something that's, that's already been distilled and uh, aging the whiskey, mm-hmm. and selecting the casks and, and doing that. How does, right. that how does that work? Uh, are, are distilleries just really eager to sell some of their 40-year-old or 21-year-old stuff? Are you working entirely with distilleries who are still in production, or are you finding... Um, some sort of these extinct distilleries kind of walk us through the whole process. Um, In Scotland, there is a long tradition going back to the 19th century of companies um, supplying one another, um, trading stocks back and forth. Um, There is a tradition of Scotch whiskey blending houses that didn't always own distilleries, that relied on buying whiskeys from from various distilleries and distilling companies. We carry on that tradition. It's different than the American whiskey industry, generally speaking, in, in that way. So we're carrying on the tradition of, of the Scotch Whiskey Blending House. We source from a variety of different distillers, and we do two things nowadays. We buy aged whiskeys from various distilling companies and distilleries that we use for you know the, the core products that we bottle every year. We're also laying down new spirits, so we're going to some of these same distilleries, and we source ca- our, the casks ourselves because, as I've said before, cask, casks are so important to us. We're fanatical about, uh, about wood and wood management. We supply casks to the distilleries, and they fill them on an annual basis for us. So we're now laying down whiskey for the future, as well as buying aged whiskeys from distilleries for use. You know, not necessarily today, but we'll buy whiskeys. This is how we do it. We'll buy casks today. We'll blend them to our recipes, and then we'll put them back into wood after blending to marry, let the flavors integrate. 
uh, and then six, nine, twelve months, sometimes two years later, then we'll bottle. So that's how we that's are. How we some work. of these very old whiskeys like a very finite resource, or is there as much you know forty year old whiskey and twenty six year old whiskey for for purchase as as you can buy? Certainly, when I started the business fifteen years ago, there was a lot of older whiskey available, um, and that's because. You know, it takes going back decades, going back 25 years or 30, 35 years, people thought, you know, a lot of distilling companies thought that scotch was going to continue to grow as it had in the 70s. And it didn't. In the 80s, it slowed down. In the 90s, it really slowed down. And so now it's, you know, it's the late 90s and early 2000s, and there's a lot of inventory of aged whiskey that was laid down years ago when they thought you know, the, the, the sales were going to continue to climb. And because those sales didn't climb, they're left over. So we had a lot of access uh, when I first started the business. Um, the world caught up to that, uh, in a sense, uh, over the last decade or so. Um, there, aren't, there aren't a lot of age, super age stocks. So there's not a lot of 40-year-old whiskey available. There is some out there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's not easy to, to access, and you have to have connections and so forth. But, uh, but it's out there. It's, there's still stuff. And you can still find it. Yeah. Great. I, I'm still loving this uh, special edition hedonism. How much of this have you produced? Is it, is it readily available? It'll be distributed, uh, well, globally in all the countries where we sell. We sell you know, directly and indirectly in about 30 countries around the world. Um, and it will be available nationwide here in the U.S. Um, it's just coming to market uh, at the moment. Uh, it's it's limited. There were you know we did about just under five thousand bottles for the okay. world. So it's uh, you know that's not very much. It's a drop in the bucket compared to a company I used to work for. Yes, exactly. Uh, what's the retail price going to be? Hedonism Quindecimus. This will retail in the neighborhood of uh, just a, in the neighborhood of two hundred dollars. Oh but, wow! Yeah, there's some pretty old, pretty rare whiskey in there. <laughs> It does not taste like a cheap whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty classy stuff. Yeah, that's delicious. And what what else did you bring over here? Um, so, hedonism, grain whiskey. Um, we've got I've got malt whiskey in the bag, peat monster, spice tree, oak cross, things like that. But I've got here on the table uh, a bottle of our Great King Street Glasgow blend. So, Great King Street is our line of blended scotch whiskeys and as i said before that's malt whiskey grain whiskey combined but it's kind of our answer to the big brands this is a much more flavorful higher malt content mm-hmm. blends kind of taking the traditional approach to the way blends were made 100 years ago and kind of rebooting that today with um with uh, contemporary maturation techniques and so forth this is a smoky it's kind of old school scotch whiskey style smoky um with a lot of the malt whiskeys here aged in sherry casks so you get lovely dried fruit character to that to, to those um, and a very high malt content blend. So this is old-school blended scotch whiskey. Big flavors here. So and what are the main differences between the way the old-school blended scotch whiskey and the new school? Yeah, well, that's really interesting. If you ever come to London, come, you'll come mm. see us, and I'll show you some old books. And we've got these cool old recipes, um, one in particular that, uh, from the 1890s for what was described as one of the better blended whiskeys of the day. And these were much higher in malt whiskey, that, uh, in terms of ratio of malt whiskey to grain whiskey, than they are today. So today, most blended Scotch whiskeys will be 60-70% grain whiskey. Back then, better blends were 20-25-30% grain whiskey, and the rest was malt. So they were really based on malt whiskeys, and therefore much more flavorful. Grain whiskey's not bad, per se. You just tasted Hedonism Quindecimus, and I think you enjoyed that. But uh, when we're talking about blended Scotch whiskeys, higher malt content blends equals more flavor. And also smokier. They would have been much smokier back then than, than today. So that's what wow. I mean by old school. 
And was that just a, a flavor? Was that just a taste of what was going on, or was that actually uh, based on the local resources? Well, I think that probably had something to do with the, those were the tastes of the day. Um, what we do know is that as we as when Scotch whiskey really boomed, particularly here in North America in the fifties and sixties. There was a taste for lighter blended Scotch whiskeys, and so a lot of the big brands of the day were quite light. And today, they, they don't have the cachet that they might want because people seek flavor today. Wow! And uh, flavor is found in the in this whiskey. It is absolutely delicious. Uh, I really love it. John, I think that's, that's all the time we have today. Um, I just want to reiterate how, how fond I am of, of the work you do. Um, we love your products. We serve them at our restaurants. Uh, I get, come over to Lartuzzi and try Jory's cocktail as well. Um, I it's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty extraordinary. Um, I just want to thank you guys all for listening. Thanks so much to uh, Jory Morales and Jack Inslee, our, um, our great producers, and to Karen Igalka who, uh, from Compass Box. Thanks for putting this Thank together. Uh, thanks again. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 